Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Hey, we're, uh, we're excited to, uh, to be together, uh, excited to continue this series, uh, E plus R equals O. If you didn't get a chance to uh, be with us, if you haven't uh, maybe paid attention in Columbus, this concept, event plus response equals outcome, uh, is a, uh, it's a simple life coaching phrase made famous by a man named Tim Kite and kind of adopted by the Ohio State football team. And so as they uh, won a championship a couple of years ago, uh, they, they said that this was their mantra. This was how they looked at things and how they uh, would view the world and not just football success but success in, in general. And, and uh, this is a phrase that I think has impact for us as believers. This is a phrase uh, that can dictate a lot of what we do and how we uh, interact with the world. And, and it's, a, it's a phrase that uh, sometimes you can have some fun with. So I wanted to give you guys this example uh, today. I wanted to show you a, a picture of my family. If you guys can, can go ahead and put that up. That, that is us. Uh, you'll notice that some of the people in my family have red hair and some of them don't, right? So uh, there are times that we go places and people look at us and, and I like to have a little fun with this concept plus articles. Oh, people uh, have said to me before, they'll come up and say something like, hey, so your kids are adopted, huh? That's, that's an event, right? Your kids are adopted. Uh, my response could be mature and could dictate where the conversation goes, and I'll say something sometimes like, no, right? And just... Uh, <laughs> Because it dictates an outcome, sometimes that outcome is awkwardness, but I like to just have fun with it, right? So uh, then I say, no, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm sorry, I just think I'm funny, and they're like, okay, I don't know how to take you anymore, right? Uh, sometimes they'll follow that up with a, a phrase like this, so, uh, so what, what, what country are the girls from? Uh, you know, because there, there are pastors and there are people uh, who have adopted from other countries, that's wonderful, I don't mean to shame that, and I think they just assume that, and so I'll just kind of look right back at them and say, Columbus, and... Uh, you can see the wheels in their head turning, and they're thinking, like, that country sounds a lot like the city that we live in, you know? And you can see them processing it. And again, there's the event of what they said. There's my response. And I could have just said, oh, the, the girls are actually from Ohio. They're from the States. But sometimes I just like to make the outcome be awkwardness and have a little fun with that. So that's a terrible example of a way that I'm just a mean person, right? But it illustrates this, this concept that sometimes you'll have an event in your life, and we don't control the events in our life, but we do control the response, and the response is going to dictate the outcome. We talked about that last week. We said that there will be times that we encounter problems and trials, and uh, in looking at our passage in Romans 5, we said that we get to, we get to respond with, with some part of our character, and if we respond to trials with endurance, if we respond with character that is, is trusting God, the, the outcome will be hope, and not just hope, but a hope in what Jesus is doing in our life, and a hope in our salvation, and, and so that was week one. We want to continue to, to learn more about events in our lives and our response and what the outcome of those can be. And so I want to invite you to turn uh, in the Bible today to 1 Samuel chapter 8. If you've got a Bible, if not, there's one under your chair, in front of you, behind you, around you. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, if you don't have the Bible, we, we love the Bible. We want you reading the Bible and seeing what God has for you weekly. And so that Bible that you're holding is our gift to you. You can walk out of here and take that home and no alarms will go off. No one will chase you down. We want you to have a copy of God's Word. But we're going to be in 1 Samuel 8. It's on page 216. 216, which is the area code of Cleveland, and I think is God telling me the Cavs are going to win the championship this year. Just wanted to throw that in there, okay? In case you're not paying attention, all right? Some of you are not too pumped about looking in the Bible, but the Cavs made you perk up. Okay, so page 216, page 216, we're talking in 1 Samuel chapter 8, and you may remember we've been in the Old Testament a lot recently. Uh, we've been talking through just the timeline of what God was doing there. Many of you know that through Adam and Eve, God set in motion creation. 
God created them in the image of God to know him, but sin entered the world, and so they uh, lost their, their immediate intimate relationship with him. They were taken out of the Garden of Eden, and eventually the world became corrupt enough that, that God kind of hit the, the reset button with the flood, and many of you know Noah and the flood, but eventually God chose a man named Abraham, and he said, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to make your people my people. I'm going to make you a great nation, and God began this journey through the Old Testament with those people, uh, the, those people, the Israelite people, that nation eventually ended up in in slavery in Egypt, but God brought them out. God did miraculous things through a man named Moses in the book of Exodus, and we see that God walked with the nation of Israel with a man named Joshua, and all through the Old Testament, some of the events we've been talking about, God raised up what were called judges. They were kind of grassroots leaders, people who were representing God, leading this nation of Israel, leading these people and helping them walk with God and be his people. And as we've seen many times, uh, sometimes Israel didn't want to listen to these judges. Sometimes they didn't want to follow these judges. This passage that we're going to look at today uh, is at the end of the leadership of a, a man named Samuel. And that's where we'll pick up here in, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1. I'll read this. You can follow along and see what God has for us today. It says this in verse 1. It says, as Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. Joel and Abijah. You kind of feel bad for the one that was named Abijah, right? Joel got a normal name. Anyway, verse, verse two there, Joel and Abijah. His oldest sons held court in Beersheba, but they were not like their father, for they were greedy for money. They accepted bribes and perverted justice. Finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you're now old and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Verse six, Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they are giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them. So Israel is not happy with the way things are going. Israel's not exactly excited about what God's doing. And so they finally ask this question in 1 Samuel 8, 5. They ask, hey, can we have a new king? You're old. We don't like your sons. Can we, can we get a king? And some of us are thinking, well, it kind of says these sons aren't doing a bang-up job and things had been better, so I can, I can get it if they would want things to change or want things to look a little different. I've, I've wanted a new boss before. Is that, is that bad, Mark? And so the question is, is just kind of, is it, is it wrong that Israel said, hey, we want, a, we want a new king. We want new leadership. And, and the verses that, that follow after that verse five there we just read kind of make it clear. Samuel was displeased. And so he went to God and said, this is, this is what they're, they're saying. And God said, listen to them. Listen to what they're saying. It's not you that they're rejecting. It's, it's me that they're rejecting. They don't want me to be their, their king anymore. As the Israelites had done from the beginning when God brought them out of Egypt, when he blessed them, when he saved them, when he changed their fortune, they, they just kept forsaking him and turning their back and, and this is what they continue to do and so God's saying it's, it's, it's not your fault. God said, hey, this request, it's a rejection of me and, and we're, gonna, we're gonna let it happen. In fact, we don't have all the backstory but in some previous books and other books, Israel had already uh, asked for a king and God had said that they would do that in Deuteronomy 17, 14 to 15. God said, when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you and you take possession of it and settle in it and you say, let us have a king like all the other nations around us, be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. 
There are other passages that talk about this. God promised Jacob previously, a nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will be among your descendants. And there are other references in the book of Genesis and the book of Numbers and the book of Deuteronomy. And so we have to ask, well, was it really so bad for them to want a king then? Because God said this would happen. God predicted this would happen. God talked multiple times about this happening and now they're just kind of bringing this to fruition and they're asking about it. Here's the, here's the key. The Lord was supposed to be the ruler and the king of Israel in this moment and in all moments. God led the people through Moses and Aaron and then through priests and through these judges and he was governing them, he was leading them, he was speaking to them. And in Samuel's time, these people began to worry about who their next leader would be and since his sons weren't perfect, they finally just said, hey, we want a king. And their, their request wasn't a rejection of Samuel or Samuel's sons, It was a rejection of of God's leadership over them. It was a rejection of God's plan and God's timeline. Their question was them saying, God, you've got a plan, but I don't don't really like that plan anymore, and I've got a pretty good idea, so let's let's see what we can do with my plan. Not just that, but they... They didn't just want a king. They wanted a king like other people had, right? They were, they were looking over, over at these other nations and saying, hey, the grass looks greener over there. Those people are very happy. Their king's very rich and very attractive, and, and we want what they have. And the nation whose God was to be the Lord alone, the nation who was supposed to be following in his footsteps was envious of these other nations, these other nations that were being led by flawed men and, and false gods. And we, we wonder, was it really the end of the world for them to want a little something more, something a little different? This passage goes on because Samuel was told to warn the people. And so verse 10 says this. So Samuel passed on the Lord's warning to them, to the people who were asking him for a king. This is how a king will reign over you, Samuel said. The king will draft your sons and assign them to his chariots and his charioteers, making them run before his chariots. Some will be generals and captains in his army. Some will be forced to plow in his fields and harvest his crops. And some will make his weapons and chariot equipment. The king will take your daughters from you and force them to cook and bake and make perfumes for him. He will take away the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his own officials. He will take a tenth of your grain and your grape harvest and distribute it among his officers and attendants. He will take your male and female slaves and demand the finest of your cattle and donkeys for his own use. He will demand a tenth of your flocks and you will be his slaves. When the day comes, you will beg for relief from the king you are demanding right now, but then the Lord will not help you. So God's given him a little bit of reality here. He's, he's kind of doing what many of you have, have had your parents do or you've done as a parent. You've said, oh, you, you, want, a, you want a dog, do you? You want a puppy? You want a puppy? All right, well, you're gonna have to feed that puppy, right? And, and when it's raining, you're gonna have to take the dog outside and walk in and clean up after it. You want a puppy? We'll give you a puppy, right? Our parents give us that talk. Or, or maybe it's like, oh, you wanna, you, wanna, you wanna play piano? Well, guess who's gonna have to practice the piano, mister, right? We're gonna pay for lessons. You're gonna, 20 minutes every day, four days a week, at least you're gonna be on that piano and we're gonna watch you. And it's gonna, we, we've given that talk, right? Like, oh, this is what you think you want? Well, here's what this means. God is their father excuse me, as their father is, is saying that, and he's saying, you want a king? Well, here's what it's gonna look like. Verse 19 says this, but the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, we still want a king, they said. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. So Samuel repeated to the Lord what the people had said, and the Lord replied, do as they say and give them a king. 
Then Samuel agreed and sent the people home. And many of you know that eventually Israel gets a king and, and he's not the best king. He's not the, the king that, that God wanted them to have in his timing. He's not the king that they were, they were to have in, in his plan. And, and so I want you to know this, that Israel rejected God's plan and not only his leadership, but ultimately his lordship. Israel resented God's plan, God's leadership, and not just his, his leadership, but his lordship. And lordship is simply this. We use the word Lord, we, we say God, and sometimes it's lost on us, but the word Lord just means that someone is, is number one, that there's, there's nothing that comes before that, that person. And so we, we, we've seen that used in, in royal speech and in this terms of nobles and previous cultures, but the term Lord with a capital L is reserved for God. And when he is Lord of your life, he is Lord of everything. He is first and foremost, and he is above all. But they didn't want to regard God as their king. They didn't want to regard God as their everything. They didn't want to regard God as the one who was in control, the one who was writing their story. They said, ah, oh, we've seen that, but we're also watching this play out in other countries, and it looks pretty good over there, and it looks really good over there. We want what they have. We want that, God. I think something that, that we can learn from them is that we should be careful of who and what we let Lord over us. We, we have to be careful of who and what we, we let Lord over us because sometimes we let things become our number one priority, right? Sometimes we let things or, or people or relationships become number one in our lives. And we know that God has said, I should be number one in your life. I'm your king. I'm your Lord. And yet we we look and, and we see what other people are doing and we think, I want a relationship like that. I want to date a guy like, like my friend has. I want a degree. I want a job. I want a career. I want the house like, like they have. And we, we make these things priority. We make these things important. We let these things lord over us. And this warning applies to us that these things that we want to let lord over us, these things that we desire, these things that we crave, they'll lord over us all right. But in the end, we will regret pursuing those things. Scripture tells us that God is a good God. And that sounds like a t-shirt or, or a bumper sticker or something that we would just say is a cliche in passing, but it's true. In fact, Psalm 23 tells us that God is our shepherd. He gives us all we need. He gives us rest. He leads us. He renews our strength. He guides us. He's close to us. He protects us. He comforts us. And he honors us. That sounds like a pretty good God. That sounds like the best God, a God that we should be comfortable letting him be our Lord. And yet Israel said, we don't want your plan. We don't want your leadership. We don't want to give you lordship. We reject you. And we can't just blame this on leadership because sometimes we look at what God is doing and we look at his plan and say, we don't want your leadership. We don't like your plan. We don't, we don't want your lordship. And we, we reject you. We reject who you are and what you're doing right now. And they place their hope in this this king that they would choose later and thought that he would make everything better, he would make everything perfect, and we often place our hope and our trust and our desires and our plan in these other things that have our attention. And so we're talking about E plus R equals O, and, and here's the first way that this can play out. There will be times that, that as an event, you'll, you'll see there's a, there's a temptation to choose your way. I don't know what that is for you, but, but we're tempted by those things. It may be a career, it may be a house, it may be a relationship, it may be a certain lifestyle, it may be a group of people, it may be better finances, it may be comfort, but we, we look and we see things and we think, oh, I know how I've had it and I want it, 
I want it that way, and we're tempted by that, and we're drawn to that, and we see the potential and the possibility of that, and, and sometimes our response may be this, that we, we reject God. We reject what God is doing. We respect what he's doing in our lives, and when the event is temptation to choose our way, and when our response is, is to reject God, the outcome will be this, that there will be misplaced longings. When we choose our way, and we put it into things and people and situations that can't complete us, I promise you that the the outcome will be misplaced longings because it will not satisfy what you're searching for, what you're feeling, what you're looking for. There's an amazing cinematic masterpiece that I love called Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the original. All right, don't even get me started on that, okay? It gets me more fired up than Beyonce versus Rihanna. It's not even close, people, okay? The original is just better, all right? It's, it's better. And, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a girl in that movie named Veruca Salt, and she's just a terrible person, right? She's, she's a spoiled brat, and as she tours this chocolate factory, these kids have won this prize to go through, and this man, Willy Wonka, is trying to say, here's, here's my world. She doesn't trust him as they're walking through, and, and she just says, I want that, I want that, I want that, I need this. And eventually, she, uh, she wants a... A golden goose egg, right? There's this goose that lays these chocolate eggs, and she doesn't just want the egg. She wants the goose. She wants to take it home, and she proceeds to sing a song because it's a wonderful musical of which I own the soundtrack. She says, don't care how, I want it now. That's her song, right? And as we we hear that, we're like, yeah, she is a terrible person, but it seems so cute in the form of a movie, and and yet I think she, she represents us because she's not trusting this person that's, that's leading her, this person that has been so generous to her. She's saying, I see what I could have, and she's being drawn away by her own temptation. She's saying, I want my way and I want it now. I want what I want right now and I need that and I deserve that and that's what I'm going to have. But the things that, that we want, the things that we desire, the things that we pursue, the things that we think we need and the things that we want to dictate into existence, they do not satisfy us. If you follow the the timeline of Israel, you'll see that that king did not satisfy them and other things that they thought they wanted, other neighboring nations and other gods that they got to worship, none of those things satisfied them and, and yet Satan tells us those things will satisfy us. Scripture tells us that, that Satan is the father of lies and so he whispers in her ear, hey, hey, you need a boat like those people. Did you see how much fun they have on that boat? That boat is amazing. You need a bigger house like that. hey. I know you've been waiting on the right guy, but she found a guy. He got her a Valentine's Day present. Do you know how nice it would be to have someone buy you something on Valentine's Day? You didn't get anything on Valentine's Day except an awkward card from your grandma. You need a guy, right? And we think, you need that promotion. Did you see that guy that you work with? He's so nice. Your husband doesn't treat you like that. You should should spend time with him. Imagine what could, what could be your life if you would spend time with that guy. And Satan whispers things into our ear and, and we believe those things and we're tempted and we begin to choose that way and, and we glorify this new idea and this path that we've concocted and it, it leads nowhere. We know that God wants us to be generous with our money and yet we start to think, man, it's, it's tough to, to let go of money that belongs to me. I could pay for a really nice vacation if I would just stop being so generous, stop giving my money to God. Or we think, yeah, I know that God gave me gifts and I can serve the church and I can build the church, but I can also sleep in a lot or I can also go on a lot more vacations and be away if I don't do that. And so we glamorize these things that, that Satan puts in our, 
in our life and, and we begin to walk away from God's desire, the things that he's spoken into us, the things that he's put in scripture, the things that he's asked from our lives and we choose our own way. And so here's the, the second way that this can play out. Sometimes the event will be a temptation to choose your way, a way that Satan has spoken to you as the father of lies and glamorized, but your response can be this. Your response can be faithfulness. We talked about this last week and we repeat it again. Your response can be a faithfulness to who God is and his plan. You can endure through circumstances and situations. And as you do that, you will see God in new ways. Your eyes will be put on God in new ways and you'll watch him change your life. And the outcome can be this. It can be peace. Because when you put your hope and your trust into God and God's plan, you will not be let down. You won't just meet misplaced longings. You'll experience longings that are, that are fully met in the person and the purpose of Jesus Christ. And I promise you that nothing will fill your life and fill your heart and complete you like the person and the purpose of Jesus Christ. Jesus says in, in Matthew 11, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that's not a common phrase to us because many of us don't have oxen and don't have yokes. Times have just changed, right? And so we read that and we think like, I don't even know what a yoke is. I thought it was in an egg and that doesn't sound like a great idea, right? And, and yet I think this passage can give us insight into what we're talking about today. When Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, it's part of this larger passage in which he's saying to people who are weary and burdened to come to him for rest. And he isn't just speaking about physical burdens like, oh, you're physically tired? Yeah, come to me and, and I'll give you nine plus hours of sleep. And you've only been getting seven. I think that could be a piece of it. But he's actually saying, you have this burden in your life. And you have this burden because of who you've been trying to be and what you've been trying to run after. Specifically in this audience, they were dealing with this, this uh, group of men called the Pharisees, religious people back in the time of Jesus. And they had made up hundreds of laws on top of what it meant to follow God and obey God and run after God. And so everyone tried to live up to these laws and standards and be good enough and be happy enough and, and smile enough and be perfect and just keep going. And does that sound familiar at all? Sometimes we try to be enough and we try to be better and we try to make more money and we try to be a better parent for our kids and we try to make mom and dad proud and make mom and dad happy and we just keep running. And Jesus is saying, listen, you're never gonna be enough. You're never gonna be perfect. You're in need of me. Because we choose our own way, we're flawed and we're separated from God. And, and Jesus is saying, listen, the yoke of trying to be enough is it's never going to happen. You're never going to get there and you're never going to be happy. Jesus was saying that no one could ever be righteous on their own. No one could ever be perfect. No one could ever be good enough on your own. But Jesus says that everyone who will come to him Everyone who will depend on him, everyone who will endure, everyone who will be faithful, everyone who will put their hope and trust in him. He says he will give them rest from the heavy burden of trying to earn our own way, from trying to get to heaven, from trying to be good enough, from trying to be perfect, from trying to find meaning. And he'll take that oppressive yoke of self-righteousness and, and legalism and the weight of sin and burden and listening to temptation and running after our own things. He's gonna take all of that away. And he says, if, if your life has felt heavy, Take, take the yoke of relationship with me and a knowledge of me and knowing me and take that on yourself and see if you don't find rest for your soul. He's saying it's easy to carry my yoke and to carry a relationship with Jesus. 
Because it's a yoke of repentance, of saying, I've messed up and I haven't been good enough, but Jesus was good enough when he gave his life and died for me on the cross. Jesus was enough when he defeated sin and death, and by putting my faith and my hope and my trust in him, I can have a relationship with God the Father, and I can be made complete. It's said in scripture that this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. And so as we give up control, as we say, I'm not enough, but I'm going to follow God and follow God's plan, and I'm going to trust that the outcome is peace, we'll see that we were created to trust God, that we were created to make him our Lord, that we were created to say that, that he's our king. I'm at a, a phase in life where I don't really have amazing hobbies anymore. I was telling someone this week they were having their second kid, and they were like, man, I feel like I'm really losing my hobbies. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, your hobbies are disappearing really quick. You're not even going to have them, right? And we were joking about it, and, and I said, if your hobbies don't involve your spouse or your kids, you can kiss them goodbye, right? And so we, we, we would joke about this. And, and so something we've done over the last couple of years, there's a bowling alley here in town, 10 Pin Alley, and it's, they've got this, this pass. It's like $50. You can, you can bowl every day for a couple of hours all summer and it's insanely cheap because they want to trick people like me in the door and then when my kids say dad can you buy us three large pizzas I'm like yeah I guess we have to right and so they're they're still making some money off me but this bowling pass is is so cheap and so we go there and sometimes we're in there with the really cool bowlers the people that wear like an arm brace I don't know what that's for I'm not mocking you if you have one because my career high is like double digits so I get it probably makes you better right but but there are times that when they're bowling and they have on like shirts and shoes and and I'm just kind of like awkwardly throwing the, the the ball and we're at this phase of life where uh, my kids some of them can't even lift the ball so they give us a ramp to put up there right and we put the ball and they just push it like that and and honestly we're at a phase of life where even the ramp is not enough because if you set the ramp crooked the ball will still go in the gutter as we learned the hard way right after a couple feet and so we have we have the ramp and and we have these these bumpers and and sometimes people look over at us and think like you know you can you can feel the judging eyes right and I just want to say I used to be cool and I used to bowl a 98 on my own but now I have these kids and they're really throwing my vibe off, right? But, but, but sometimes we, we need bumpers, right? I mean, let's just be honest, left to myself, I'm, I'm going to go off track, I'm going to throw the ball in the gutter, I'm going to be a failure, and it's not the end of the world for, for that bumper to say, hey, it's a little better over here. And sometimes when we make God our king, when we say that he is our Lord, when we let him run the plan of our life, and when we trust him, it's not insulting, it's not embarrassing, it's just kind of like having a bumper and saying, Lord, I want you to direct things here. I want you to guide things, and I trust that if I get off that path, it's not gonna, it's not gonna end well. There's gonna be pain, there's gonna be suffering, there's gonna be heartache. Yeah, other people, they, they view sex in a different way, but I'm gonna trust your plan. Other people, yeah, they view marriage and relationships in another way, but I'm going to trust your plan. And other people have climbed up the career ladder faster or made more money, but I'm going to trust your plan and I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to endure. And he keeps us in line and it's not to control us. It's to keep us in relationship with him and it's so we can find hope and rest in him, and it's so he can keep us from pain and, and suffering and things that he would never want for his children. It's because he loves us. So if you take one thing from today, I hope that you'll, you'll take this big idea. When Jesus is your response to events, peace is the outcome of your life. Whatever, whatever the event is, if it's realizing that you're not enough for the first time, 
if it's trouble in your marriage, if it's trouble at work, if it's being without a job right now, if it's a health situation, if your response is to look to Jesus and go to Jesus and give that burden to Jesus, I promise you that that peace will be the outcome because that's who Jesus is. That's who our God is. That's his character and that's what you will experience. So maybe for the first time you're realizing that your life lacks peace, that your life is headed in a wrong direction. It feels like it's headed to the gutter and you would just say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I know that I'm not good enough, but he is and I wanna trust him. I wanna follow his plan. I wanna live for him. Jesus didn't give us a a ton of rules in scripture for the sake of nothing. He just said, follow me. If you would say, I've been following myself and I'm, I'm just finding that I long for more and more and more and it's never enough and you would say, I wanna follow him, I want peace, I want to invite you to make that decision today. There's a, there's a card in your chair. You can indicate that, that you want to have a relationship with Jesus, and we will follow up with you. We will talk to you about that, and you can begin a relationship with Jesus. You can experience peace today. Maybe you'd say, Mark, I have a relationship with Jesus. I just get caught up sometimes. I get distracted. I, I look at other people, and, and I see what they have, and I, I run after that, and I run after this, and I realize that taking my whole family after this, this mecca of club soccer just leaves us having to spend more money and being busier, and we're still not happy, and we're chasing this, and we want hope, and we want peace, and we want longings that are satisfied. And I want you to know that you can run to Jesus. You can take those things to Jesus and you will be satisfied. The outcome of your heart and your life will be peace. Let's pray. Let's take a moment just to talk to God and and take our longings to him. Surrender those things to him. Jesus, we confess that oftentimes we listen to Satan, we listen to his lies, and we listen to the things that he's trying to trick us into. And, And God, we run after things that will never make us happy. Lord, just 